0: Welcome to Called, a podcast where we explore the intersection of ministry and the rest of our lives as church workers. I'm Sarah Bariza
1: And I'm Bill Smoots. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays as we talk about cutting out the BS in our lives and embracing the good.
0: Between the two of us, we've ministered in churches for over 50 years, and we're still here. I've been a church musician all over the denominational spectrum, mainline, evangelical, Catholic. Basically, if they hire organists, i probably worked for them.
1: And I have pastored all sorts of churches from small rural to large urban suburban, uh, primarily in the Presbyterian Church USA, but most recently in transitional positions in the United Church of Christ.
0: And today we're talking about settling into a new church, plus our Reads of the Week. So this whole settling into new churches, I think Bill and I have done this a lot, and I've done this a lot more than I think most church musicians have because I've moved a lot. I followed my husband's career to several different states. I think three at this point, and within churches at those various points. So for the last few years, I've moved around a lot, and I'm finally in a church. I've been here for a year, and I'm gonna stay for a while. And so I'm having these, I'm having these thoughts of, oh, I can like, I've, I've actually settled in. And can continue to settle, in. it's not that I've settled in, and now I'm
1: moving to a different state. It's kind and of exciting, Bill. Isn't it? You've
0: settled into a lot of places. Well,
1: I've, I I ended up serving more churches uh, in in my called installed phase of my life than I ever anticipated. Mm-hmm.
0: And you've been and, an interim, a and
1: lot. now for the last four years, I've been serving as an interim, and and so that's a year and a half, two years, and and then you're on to another mm-hmm. new beginning. And yeah. So yes, yeah. I. So we
0: we've, we've done this settling in quite a few times.
1: For better or for worse, and I yeah. feel
0: like I feel like I learn something new every single time.
1: I don't think I would have learned anything new if I hadn't moved, and, yeah, and good point. So, so while moving has its drawbacks, don't get me wrong. It's also been those places in ministry and life where new learning has taken place, and I've added tools to my set of skills. And And so from that perspective, I, I've learned a lot and value uh, those moves, because I wouldn't have learned those mm-hmm. things if I mm-hmm. hadn't.
0: And I moved. think it those moves probably have also made us more willing to accept change, because that's part of the deal. If you're going to move, you've got to be able to you have to be okay with the change, and it really helps keep your mindset forward-looking.
1: Yes, because it's no its no use looking backwards.
0: Mm-hmm. So we're going to approach this through six different angles, six different areas where we can settle into a new church. But before we get to those six, we're going to talk about how to get the ball rolling.
1: I have found that... There are questions I need to ask in the interview process or information I need to request from the church in the interview process that, that act as, as signals in some ways of, Oh, this pastor is going to be interested in certain kinds of things. So, so I want to make sure I'm getting, if the church produces annual reports, I want at least five years of annual reports. I want at least a year two is better of of meeting minutes for their session or council or board whatever whatever that is in their se- in their setup I want that kind of information coming to me ahead of time both for my knowledge but also so that the the folks at that congregation know oh he's he's wanting to learn some of our history he's going to come in with some questions or ideas or with some background knowledge uh, that we can't necessarily pretend doesn't exist.
0: This is such a huge signal during an interviewing process to say, oh, I'm this kind of person.
1: Yes. Yeah, yes. That's a huge, agree. huge thing. Agree. Yeah. And 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 I would encourage folks to, to really begin thinking at that point in the process of how do I want to be in this community? Um, because if you're going to um, agree to serve in a new faith community – I would hope you want to come in with some intentionality, and I think you signal that intentionality from the, from the, the, the first conversations, from from the way you present yourself in your resume or paperwork or uh, whatever whatever you call it in, in that tradition, and from the questions you ask.
0: So that's signaling about yourself and as you're interviewing, but it's also a way to begin the process of settling into a new church, even if you haven't really gotten to the new church.
1: Correct. So
0: let's talk about these six different priorities or areas to think about as you settle into a church. And I think number one has to be that people are number one. And what I mean by that is you have to get to know who the people are. And my favorite thing has been a photo directory. And not every church has a photo directory. But if you do, you know, sitting down with those photographs and matching names and faces and um, maybe getting – someone who's already there to circle the people who are most likely to be there, just to prioritize mem- memorizing a lot of faces. That has just been an invaluable way to quickly get to know people's faces.
1: Yes. I I agree that, that is a useful aspect of a photo directory. Other than that, I think they are a tool of the devil. And <laughs> and, and that can be a whole nother podcast oh, yeah. <laughs> on, on being the associate pastor put in charge of creating the
0: photo oh, directory. Oh boy. We won't go there. It's like today. hurting some cats. <laughs> I,
1: no, I, I think you're right on track, Sarah, with uh, the the sense that getting to know people and, and, and putting time and energy into that from day one, from the moment you walk into the new congregation, is critical. I have found in my moves that I really want to sit down with my leadership quickly in a Presbyterian setting that's my session leaders uh, in the universe in the United Church of Christ that's my council leaders but I want to sit down with them and have a half hour 45 minute meeting with them just for us to begin to get to know each other and I will even send uh, to the church before I get there I'll say to the administration person here's the times I'm available for the first, three, four, or five days I'm going to be on site, please ask the officers to fill in when they can be there and have them show up to meet me. And, and so I will walk in, say good morning on my first day, and almost immediately start meeting with my church leaders. Oh, that's awesome. And I have found that to be really useful. I we 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 begin that important process of getting to know each other. It surfaces. Um Issues that may be lingering that, uh, cause there's often people are waiting to talk to the new pastor for certain reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and so I begin to get those issues surfaced and, and I also signal to them that, Hey, I'm interested in who you are and where you are and how we're going to be leading this church together. Mm-hmm. And, and so people are. Number one priority, yes.
0: When I first got to my current position, you, Bill, actually suggested, hey, do coffee dates with people to get to know them. And so I had coffee dates with basically everybody who was in the choir or the handbell ensemble. Um, And that was fantastic. I came during the summer. And so I wasn't seeing people regularly. And even when I do see people on a weekly or biweekly basis uh, for rehearsals and services, I'm really focused on the rehearsal and leading that. while I'm focus on the service, and I don't have time for an hour long. Here, tell me about tell me about why you love this church and why are you in the choir? Like, really important and meaningful conversations. It's just not time for that. And so starting off my time at this congregation by having those lengthy relational conversations has been fantastic.
1: And, and so much of what we do in church work, I think, is based on the credibility that we we build up uh, we we are given freedom to move in new and different directions if we have certain credibility with the folks we're working with the folks we're leading and a great deal of that credibility comes through those relations. And so by by having those coffee dates, you're beginning to get to know those people, and they're beginning to get to know and trust you. And then when you want to move in a a new direction musically, or hey, let's try this piece that's maybe a little risky for us, Mm -hmm they're probably more willing to go along mm-hmm. with you. Yeah, I would also add from my perspective, when I have stepped into places where there has been conflict, uh, it's also been critical for me, not just my leaders, but Anybody who wants to talk, to begin to get to know uh, the the new pastor, even if that pastor is just here in, in an interim capacity, it helps people feel more connected again. And it helps people um, begin to calm down and breathe a little bit again, in my experience.
0: So that's number one. People are number one. Our number two priority is getting to know the landscape. And to me, that is really literal as in what is in the space, what's in the file boxes, what's in the cupboards, what is in the attic. And I think I probably am thinking about landscape because I'm a musician and I have to know what are the hundreds and hundreds of anthems that this particular church owns. So I've done this process so many times of going through many, many file boxes and, okay, they've got this anthem, okay, they've got that anthem and just because the, the world of music is endless, so I don't actually know all these pieces and I have to sit down and look at the piano and is this worthwhile? And, you know, it's a big, long process to figure out what is
1: the landscape. Yes, yes. I like to walk around and open all the doors and figure out where all the light switches are. Oh yeah, where um, are the breaker
0: boxes? <laughs> yes, yes.
1: <laughs> because when something happens on a Sunday morning or during the middle of the week, how does this sound? System everybody work? is going <laughs> to expect you to know, and mm-hmm. and if you haven't turned the sound system on, if you haven't flipped a, if you don't know where the breaker mm-hmm. box is, or in the case of our current church, breaker boxes, because there's at least a half a dozen boxes mm-hmm. scattered around the church. you're you're in trouble if you don't know where those things Mm -hmm. are. I have found it particularly useful to know where the boiler room is (laughs) and and, uh, to know maybe how to turn the boiler on or to shut it off in an emergency, how to turn the air conditioning on.
0: Did I ever talk about the church that put me in charge, the organist, in charge of turning on the AC every summer? No. Yeah, I did that until there were like random people who weren't supposed to be in the building, were in the building. And I said, oh, I I really don't feel like me, the only person in the building, should be in charge of going into the dank basement and turning on the that, AC. That's
1: probably smart, Sarah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did. It, but it just amazes but yeah, me how, to turn on the how much people assume. Well, if you're you know if you work for the church, then you'll know all these things. Yeah. And and, and you've got to know all. These I did things.
0: finally learn how to use the big coffee maker. So.
1: You know. I, I try and avoid then how to use, in charge. Make coffee makers because then I'm in charge. And and for a lot of years I did not drink coffee. And so mm. I didn't I didn't know if I was making good or bad coffee in those oh, days. Yeah. when I had to. Now that I drink coffee, you know, if there isn't any made, yes, I'll go make <laughs> some because I need it desperately.
0: So that's number two. Get to know the landscape. Bill, what's number three?
1: Find out what's normative. What are the norms of the congregation that you're now serving? What how do they things what's their regular approach to all manner of things it, it it's in in some ways you have to exegete the congregation Ooh. isn't that fun you've got to you've got to draw out from them what's what are their stories how do they what are their practices what do they do in certain situations mm-hmm. um, for us in in worship leadership how do they do a funeral? Yeah. How do they do a wedding? How do they do communion? Oh, um, communion is the big one. I often start at a new church on the first Sunday of a month. Well, guess what most churches do on the first Sunday of a month? They have communion. And so I'm walking straight into this important ceremony for this congregation, and, and every church does it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So well, every church does those... it the
0: normal way, right?
1: Right. <laughs> So for me, quite well taken.
0: So for me, coming in to a new church uh, as a minister of music, I'm typically looking at bulletins, and sometimes sometimes uh, churches keep really strong records of when music was sung, so like I know what the choir's repertoire has been. But I've also been in cases where I literally sit at a computer and sift through years of bulletins to just say like, what has the choir sung recently? What are they likely to know? Because I want to knowingly give them new music. And I, and I can't just assume that because something is in the file folders that they've sung it recently. So I'm, And I'm also looking at hymns. Uh, some churches, again, keep very strong records, and some churches keep no records. And if I can find out that information, what's normative, what are hymns that people know here or are likely to know here, that's really useful information.
1: And by doing that, you're really that congregation's expert. Mm-hmm. Because you know, given yeah. attendance patterns, people aren't here as regularly as they mm-hmm. once were, and nobody's going to know yeah. what has been sung to that extent, except mm-hmm. the person who's taken the time to go through the records. I
0: think it's also really important to know what is normative for the big services of the year, like Easter and Christmas Eve and Good Friday. And the goal isn't so that you can do the exact same thing forevermore, amen, but so that you can just know what has been normal. The goal here isn't never changing anything, but the goal is just, hey, what's what are people used to?
1: Right, right. And, and different congregations... Particularly if they've had an ethnic background, they were founded out of a particular group of immigrants, they may have days or worship services that you need to pay attention Mm -hmm. to like no others. The church I served in Wisconsin had some Welsh heritage, Mm -hmm. and March 1 was the day they had decreed was St. David's Day, the patron saint of Wales. And if you didn't note that in the service closest to March 1 and figure out a way to include St. David, in your prayer, um, you were in trouble Mm -hmm. with with a portion of the population. Yeah, so that's the tradition
0: you want to know about. So this brings us to number four, which is to seek out the sacred cows. (laughs) And I think there's a difference between what's normal and what is like, you had better not skip this one or people are going to be really, really upset. And I feel like every church has like that song that they want at Christmas Eve or that thing that they have to do on Easter Sunday that people are really going to not like it if you don't do that and again if you're in a leadership position depending on your denominational structure maybe it is a good thing to say we're going to break with this tradition or we're going to change it but you really really want to know if you're going to if you're going to mess with one of those sacred cows you don't want to do that unknowingly
1: I think it's important to know it. You're right. Mm-hmm. I'm also a believer in the the statement that uh, sacred cows make the best hamburger, Oh, a- and that there are times when you need to just mm-hmm. mess with things. Mm-hmm. This but better is, to do that knowingly. <laughs> the, well, to do it knowingly, it's also easier to say this from a perspective of an interim pastor oh, for sure. than, than called installed or settled. Mm-hmm. Uh, but But I think it's important in in my roles in interim that I come in and, you know, if we've always had communion on Christmas Eve, well, dang it, Christmas Eve is about getting Jesus born, not killing him off. And and so I'm going to push to... Not do communion, or only do communion at the smallest service if they have multiple Christmas Eve services that I can do. But there are other things. Totenfest is is uh, uh, something I learned about in my serving a UCC congregation that was from the old e branch of mm. the UCC, the, the German, German churches, yeah. and and it's very similar to All Saints, but it's never celebrated. It, sometimes it's on All Saints Day, but other times it's celebrated nearby. It's it's their, their celebration of the dead, but don't call it All Saints, and still call it Totenfest. And if you can throw a few German words in, even better.
0: i just like a sausage and a beer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and all God's people said amen. So number five, figure out what to do now and what to postpone. Tell me so more, what you're So I feel
0: like some things really need to be done right away. And some things can wait indefinitely. And I have found that by identifying what those things are that, that can wait and then making it really clear to myself, I don't have to do that right now, it frees up a lot of mental space for me. So here's, here's an example. I have a very large music library to work with, and some of it's organized and some of it is not. When I first got here, I made sure that everything was organized that was immediately important to me and then i said the rest of this can wait till next summer so i am now a full year into working at this church and i'm just getting to organizing the stuff that i said i'm waiting a year because i can't do all things at the same time i you know you've got to prioritize and by saying here's what is not a priority i've just freed up that mental space for me and just it's not it hasn't even lingered in the back of my mind as something i should do because no i'm i'm not doing that till june of 2019
1: one well, music that's been sitting in a drawer for how many years already? One more year isn't gonna hurt. Mm-hmm. So, I and think I, that's I think wise. that it
0: applies to a lot of different roles within the church because there are some things that are just really pressing. There are some fires that have to be put out right now. I have to know what we're singing this Sunday. Like, there's those really pressing things, and some stuff can just wait a while.
1: One of the the pieces that I would say I've discovered around this topic is usually the very first people that want to meet with me, that are trying to make appointments with me before I arrive on site or are are trying to break into all those appointments I've already set up with church leaders uh, because they've got something they've just got to tell me, that those are good things for me to listen to, but not Act on much. Oftentimes people have some agenda they're bringing or they're trying to continue to play out some fight they've been having with someone else in the church and figure if they get to the new pastor first, then they will have won. And, and so I've learned that I just need to, to, to listen and to receive information. But really try not to, you know, unless it's the, the building is in danger of catching on fire or something like that, or somebody's life and limb is is mm-hmm. at risk, I just need to listen and receive that information and take some time to say, okay, this is significant and needs to be dealt with more immediately, or this I just need to be aware of.
0: Yeah. So number six, the last one, give yourself some grace.
1: Where would we come up with an idea like grace? <laughs>
0: You're going to make some missteps. You're going to forget the committee chair's name, whatever it is, and it's going to be okay. And that's where people – that's how it is.
1: That's right. And and sometimes you – May be the only one giving yourself that grace early on. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that, but, but you need to give it. But you knew you, you have to, to take care it. of yourself
0: first. That's right. Yeah.
1: That's right. Because if you're tied up in knots, if you're feeling guilty, if you're allowing people to uh, start their energy up onto on you. you, yeah, and yeah. project their stuff, let's mm-hmm. say, yeah. onto you. You're not going to be effective for the entire congregation, mm-hmm. and yeah. so operating with grace and
0: and giving grace to others and, and yeah. giving
1: grace to others. Yes, I, I I I laugh a lot and and say to people, oh, but we live in hope, <laughs> and and I yeah. really think we do. I mean, it's a it's a silly statement sometimes, but I really do think we live uh, in the hope that 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 Jesus Christ loves us, and and uh, through Jesus, God will take good care of us, and and that that frees us. To not get so tangled up in knots and and mm-hmm. to embrace that grace that Jesus does offer us. Absolutely. So amen to that one.
0: So there are the six priorities for settling into a new church. Number one, people are number one. Number two, get to know the landscape. Number three, find out what's normative. Number four, seek out the sacred cows. Number five, figure out what to do now and what to postpone. And number six, give yourself some grace.
1: Don't forget the cheese for the sacred cows when you turn them into hamburgers. It's always so good.
0: So y'all, do you have any other priorities that you feel like we should be adding? Or how have these, how have these priorities played out for you when you've been settling into a new church? We would love to hear. We're at called podcast at gmail.com, or you can go to calledpodcast.com and leave a message in the show notes.
1: And and just your stories of settling in uh, are really valuable. Each, each experience is a little bit different and offers something for us all to learn from. So we'd love to hear from you. Do we want to talk about our Reads of the Week, Sarah? Yes, we do. Okay. What do you have, Bill? Well, I have got uh, just an article uh this week. I don't want to say just an article. It's it's entitled Five Pitfalls to Avoid When Evaluating the Senior Minister. And it was uh written by Susan Beaumont, uh, part of the Congregational Consulting Group uh on their on their website. And there there are five main points and I'll just address those briefly uh and then say why I think the article's so good. Um the, the first one is leaving the board out of the assessment process is a mistake. Uh, you always need to see the the board or session or council as the, the body that's doing the evaluation of the senior minister. Uh, to, to create space between uh, that group and the evaluative process generally causes problems. Um, giving feedback before setting stating expectations should be avoided. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, one yeah. of the uh Susan says one of the best ways to demoralize an employee is to critique her on something she was never told she was supposed to do. Yeah, that's yeah. management
0: one one <laughs> it, it, it is, but
1: you'd be surprised in Oh, I in wouldn't church- be surprised. Well, oh, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> you've served lots of churches yes. But I I'm never I never cease to be amazed even when there are HR professionals sitting on a personnel committee that things they would never do in their day job, they don't even think about when it comes to an evaluation within a church. And uh, so it it, it amazes me. Um, Number three, don't pass on random complaints. Mm, um, yeah. Some people are random saying... Random praises, yes, yes, we are.
0: <laughs> well, Oh, I, you like that song. Great. I, I remember
1: <laughs> in 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 one church where they had never had a really functioning evaluative process. I was there. It was a year. It was time to evaluate me. And and they didn't know what to do. And I was... This was my first head of staff position, and I couldn't give them much guidance. I, I didn't know enough yet. And so they decided they would just put something in the newsletter and the Sunday Bulletin. Hey, we're going to have... Uh, an annual review of the pastor, let us know what you think. So do you think the people I'm, that I'm felt over here happy? With, like, big
0: eyes, do you like, think oh, the people what? that felt happy with me <laughs> said
1: anything? No, but but there <gasps> were there was that's a handful so of people that that you know had this complaint and that complaint, and that's what the committee ran with. And even as they were doing that, they were going, "This, this doesn't is, feel right. This yeah, this no. this isn't representative." But isn't
0: this the next the next uh, point on and, here? And, and so Don't and, take surveys. <laughs> yeah, and so we
1: so we redid the process for, for the future going forward. Yeah, number four: conducting surveys in the commission. Yeah, conclusion. be Don't careful. Do that, or, or um, if you're going to uh, conduct a survey, you know, let the personnel committee pick ten people from the congregation that they would like to ask certain questions, and the pastor pick uh, five or ten people from the congregation that she or he would like to have offer some input, and then lay those two together yeah. and use that as the basis or recognize when for there are outliers. A conversation, yes, yeah, yes.
0: Or recognize that outliers are normal and they don't represent the whole voice yes, of the congregation.
1: Yes. Because there'll always be people who think a pastor walks on water and there'll be people that thinks the pastor is leading them straight to hell and and you've gotta mm-hmm. lop off those. And you ends. don't really want to listen to either no, of those. No and focus on what's going on in the center. Um number five is is don't share uh, in a data dump. You, you want uh, all the information that comes in as part of a evaluative process. It may or may not be wise to share that. There, there may be some comments that are just designed to be hurtful.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and those are the ones that are going to stay
1: and, and not it, the ones with, right. we love you, you remember those long after <laughs> yeah. they've been spoken. and And a wise personnel Committee or personnel work group will say maybe we don't need to share that one, mm-hmm. um, and and let's focus on on the 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 pieces that we really want to celebrate or areas where we really want to encourage some improvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. One one of the w- within the article, there's some interesting conversation about uh, the fact that that pastors are often expected to perform a wide variety of tasks mm-hmm. and that it's, it's really unfair to think that, uh, an individual is going to be able, you know, they've got 15 primary tasks that they're going to be able to improve on all 15 of those in any one performance review period. That, that a wiser approach would be for a personnel committee and a pastor to pick out two or three areas that they would like to focus on for the next year, and how can we bring improvement here, or how can we change the approach in these few areas and celebrate those versus trying to take on everything and overwhelm.
0: So we'll put a link to this in the show notes if you would like to read it for yourself or share it with uh, the people working in your church.
1: It's only about a page long, so please find it and read it. Yeah. Yeah, What about you, Sarah?
0: So I recently read the book Educated by Tara Westover, And this has been a very, very best-selling book, so you may have already heard about it, but I think it has something really interesting for those of us in churches. The author grew up in a fundamentalist Mormon sect that consisted basically of her family and didn't go to doctors, didn't go to school. She was able, though, to get herself a good ACT score, got into BYU, Brigham Young University, and now has a PhD from Cambridge, writes incredibly well. So, a really, really interesting interesting story. For those of us working in churches, it has a couple different takeaways, one of which is that you can't always tell where people have come from Mm. just by talking with them. And the author, Tara Westover, talked about how when she was in graduate school, she would allude to different areas of her past, but people didn't necessarily, and for the most part, didn't at all realize where she had come from. Mm. And that caused some Uh, Concern sometimes because sometimes she'd make very strange cultural uh, references where, oh, that's not quite right, but you know, because she just didn't have that background. Um, But I think in churches, we sometimes think, well, everyone here has been churched in the way that I have been, Mm. and we forget they may never have been to church. They may be at church because their spouse is religious and they've just shown up here. And we don't know that until we get to know people and maybe never because some people aren't going to talk about where they came from. So that family of origin and that that whole background, what's the relationship to church? We don't know that until we find it out. So I thought that was a really interesting takeaway in a really concrete kind of way. And then the other thing is because You know, we in churches, we encounter all kinds of uh, fundamentalist beliefs. And I I grew up in a fundamentalist family in the Baptist tradition, not the Mormon tradition. But I think it's always interesting to just be aware of how fundamentalism can manifest itself in different religious areas. And even – I mean, even within progressive Christianity, within liberal Christianity, there's a lot of ways that fundamentalist thinking can – can bloom unfortunately so I think that we as leaders need to be thinking about what does fundamentalism look like in its different colors not just the the way we know about so that we can more easily identify it Hmm. so great book educated by Tara Westover Good book.
1: Well, friends, that's it. Here, This is this week's installment of Called. I hope you will uh, continue to look for new episodes. We try and drop them on the first and third Tuesdays of each month.
0: Mm-hmm. And you can find the show notes at calledpodcast.com. And you can email us at calledpodcast at gmail.com.
1: If you're enjoying the show, please share it with others whom you know that might enjoy it as well. And please give us your feedback. We really appreciate hearing from you and are interested in ideas that you'd like to hear us do a show on or just interested in your response to to what we've been talking about in each particular episode. I'm Sarah Brizza. And I'm Bill Smoots.
0: Until next time, cut out the BS and embrace the good.